Welcome to the Costa del Salford. It's absolutely glorious here today. All we're short of is the sea and the sand. We have the canals, though, although you won't find me taking a dip in, in any of the canals around here, I don't mind telling you. It's Wednesday. It's uh, the 18th of May, 2022. BBG with you till 7 o'clock. Thank you once again for stumbling across me. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Not an idol boast, you know. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Do you remember the barrister Robert Hansen who came on this program late last year? Uh, really interesting chap, a lovely chap in fact, qualified as a barrister in London in the mid-90s, uh, but moved to Hong Kong to set up his own firm, Silk Road Chambers. A very, very bright chap, not just because he's a barrister. But he knows a few things about what's going on and why. He's back in the UK, is Robert. We're going to reconnect with him in around about an hour's time to have a chat and see how he's getting on. More importantly, to learn why it is that he is indeed back in the UK. You don't want to miss that. Robert Hansen is the uh, the guest today, Wednesday's show. You, as per usual, may join in, if you so choose, by sending me some sort of a message through my website richieallen.co.uk had a horribly serious sharp pain in my chest about five minutes ago downstairs away from the from the studio it isn't anything serious it's not heart trouble every now and it's a muscular thing every now and then i get a sharp pain right where the shoulder meets the chest you know there's no tingly left arm or fast heartbeat or any of that dizziness or any of that. No, it's just a thing I, I've had for some years, but it can be a bit debilitating. So it caught me unaware. It's never happened to me just as I was about to go on air or even during a programme. So I'm taking a few deep breaths here. I haven't taken any painkillers because I'm a double hard bastard. Not really. I just don't didn't have any time to take any painkillers. I'll just have to uh, struggle on. How are you doing? Are you doing all right? Is it nice where you are? Tis good. Well, we're going to get into three, maybe four things in a moment. Things that we we like to talk about. And that'll bring us up to Robert. I'll read your comments out as well. That should fill a few minutes. I might play a song. That should fill a couple of minutes as well. (laughs) This is how it works. No, it isn't. It isn't. Um, It's a mad world, isn't it? I know. Cliché, number one, he's only two minutes into the programme. It is a bit mad, though. For some reason this morning, I found myself on the website for the Sun newspaper. You've got a place in the sun. You've got a place in the sun. Remember the sun? I don't read it because I remain in solidarity with my Liverpudlian friends. It's the only thing I like about Liverpudlians is that we uh, have a collective hatred for the sun because of what it tried to do to the people of Liverpool after the Hillsborough disaster, which had nothing to do with Liverpool fans at all. So when Liverpool fans started boycotting the sun, I did the same. Solidarity. That's what us old lefties used to do. 
So I don't buy the bloody thing, but sometimes I fall onto its website. I'm kind of glad I did today because I needed a giggle. This will probably not make you laugh, but then sometimes something will make somebody laugh. It'll give them proper heaving laughs like. And you'll be like, it's not that funny. So you might not find it funny, but I found it funny. I came across this headline. I'm having Ed Sheeran's baby. But Star's wife doesn't need to worry, says Superfan. So I read on. So an Ed Sheeran Superfan, they used to call these people stalkers or stark raving lunatics, but these days they call them Superfans. Remember Play Misty for Me with Clint Eastwood? And am I wrong? Was Sandra Locke in that? who Clint later married. Rather fetching, but very pale woman. Very pale. Anyway, yeah, play Misty. So this Ed Sheeran superfan is having a baby with the pop star's spitting image. Amanda Barron, 37, used to joke that she would marry the Shape of You star. Love these, love these tabloid writers. Love them. And after dating his doppelganger for a year... They are now having their first child together. The mum of four <laughs> is hoping the baby will have ginger hair like dad, Ty Jones, 27, who works full-time as an Ed-alike. Not a look-alike, but an Ed-alike. I hate Ed Sheeran. I think he's everything that's bad about modern pop music. Bland, soulless songs sung by a spotty ginger muppet who became famous on YouTube. Dreadful, isn't it? Are you jealous? You're damn right I am. I bet you he gets some. Right, stop it right there. Anyway, I always wanted to go out with a ginge and now I've got the best one apart from the real Ed, obviously, said Amanda from Carrington in Greater Manchester who's expecting a baby girl in July. She added, we've been playing Ed's songs to her and we're both hoping she loves him just as much as we do. <sighs> and this got me. Ty, the lookalike, previously struggled with dating. He said, I have to weigh up if women are just interested in me because I'm the next best thing to Ed. But with Amanda, it's been amazing. She's the best. New segment coming every week. There's nowt so queer as folk, which is a lovely colloquialism, colloquialism up here in the northwest. Michael Fabricant is a gas man, isn't he? The Tory MP with the worst wig in the history of the world. I will pause now for 30 seconds while you use Tinternet to look for photographs of Michael Fabricant. He's been a Tory MP for quite a few years. It's spelt F. I'll do it. I'll do it properly. It's Foxtrot Alpha Bravo Roger Indigo Charlie Alpha November Tango F A B R I C A N T Michael Fabricant. He should have went to Maury's wigs because they never come off. Worst wig in the history of the world. He was hammered online today. This guy. Now, you'll know by now that a Conservative Party MP has been arrested, has been questioned, and has been bailed on suspicion of rape and sexual assault. Okay? It's all over the place this morning. Now, the whip has not been removed from the accused man. 
the whip hasn't been removed from the guy, but he has been told to stay away from Westminster, which kind of gives the game away. You see, the guy can't be named by the media for what they call legal reasons. But sure, all you had to do was watch Prime Minister's questions today and see, or, or look to see, who wasn't in his rightful place, as they say, in that shithole, right? Who's not there that ordinarily is there? Ah, ah, he's the accused rapist, right? That's all you had to do. So Fabricant tweeted, Michael Fabricant tweeted about this, and sure, he got piled in on. Let me tell you what he tweeted. Um, No, no, hang on, hang on, I won't, hang on. Let's let the virtue-signalling eighth wonder of the world, James O'Brien, of LBC Radio, tell us all what Michael Fabricant tweeted. It's over to Jimmy O'Brien. Do you know what he's done now? What? You, you know who Michael Fabricant is? Yes, the guy with the wig. The, the, the fellow with the hair. Um, I, I, no, I don't know whose hair it is either, but it's on his head. The, this is unbelievable. I, I can't quite, but I was almost going to wait for Theo, but you know me, I'll probably forget. Who the fuck is Theo? Michael, I don't, you're aware of the fact that a Conservative MP has been arrested on incredibly serious charges. Yes, yes, move on. Including rape and, and some of these allegations date back over seven yes. years. Um, Michael, and it follows a two-year investigation. So it's it's a it, forgive the crassness of the description, but it's. I a, bet you O'Brien's wife has no trouble sleeping. What do you think? But it's a big story. A man aged in his fifties. Yeah, it's a big story. A man in his fifties has been arrested and bailed on suspicion of rape, and he's a serving Tory MP. What about the tweet from Michael Fabricant? Michael Fabricant, Conservative MP for Lichfield, has tweeted the following. I am expecting a strong turnout of Conservative MPs at Prime Minister's questions today. So far, so good. Not only to demonstrate their strong support for Boris, uh, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, but, capital letters, also to prove they are not, capital letters, the one told by the Chief Whip to stay at home. I'll be there, exclamation mark, followed by... I'm never quite sure how to describe these things. It, it, you know, the, a, a winking emoji with a tongue poking out. A winking emoji with a tongue poking out? Did he really? Michael Fabricant on Twitter? Well, then he has to resign, doesn't he? It stands to reason. Do you mean to tell me that Michael Fabricant was the dodgiest barnet since Bruce Forsyth tweeted that the House of Commons will be full today? Not just to show support for Boris, but to prove they're not the one arrested and told to stay home by the whip. By the whip. And then he put a winky, tonguey emoji? Did he really? Burn him. Burn him. You know, he only tweeted what the whole fucking country was thinking, didn't he? <laughs> I bet you the House of Commons is packed to the rafters with Tories today so that people don't think I'm the rapist or the accused rapist. And then he put a winky-tongy emoji. What does that mean? What does it mean exactly? Well, let's get back to Jimmy O'Brien. As if allegations of serious sexual offences, include multiple allegations of serious sexual offences, including rape, are suitable territory for a winking emoji. With Serious allegations of rape are not suitable territory for a winky emoji. With 
with a tongue. I can't. You know me. I, well, I do. You're a prick. We all know you. Uh, so the implication, or excuse me, the accusation is, is that Fabricant is taking the mickey or finds it amusing that somebody has been arrested for rape? Well, maybe not. Like, maybe he saw the irony of the whole PMQ's situation coming only 18 hours after the guy was arrested and told to stay away from the House of Commons by the Tory chief whip. Maybe that's all that was on Fabricant's mind. He doesn't look very clever. Nobody would have that, Barnet. Bold is really better. It really is. Maybe that's all it was. Wow, we all want to be there, not just to support Boris, but so that nobody thinks we're the rapist. What's wrong with that, really? I said it before and I'll say it again. Well, what did you say? They can still shock me, these people. You're shocked by that, really? They can still shock me. Wow. Even after all this time. Oh. And it's it must my, be tough being James O'Brien. Michael Fabricant's turn today. Not even addressing the cost of living crisis. Not even addressing the cost of living crisis. <laughs> By suggesting that you get a better paid job or, 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 oh, or eat value food or take some cookery lessons. But addressing serious sexual offences. What, what is wrong? A winky tongue emoji. With these people, and how have we ended up being governed by them? Because of dickheads like you failing to do your job for years. That's why, Jimmy, the irony. You obviously don't understand irony. You must have spent some time in the United States of America. How have we ended up with such arseholes for leaders? Look in the fucking mirror, Jimmy. You and your colleagues and every other broadcaster in the UK for every other station. Jimmy? That, that's probably one for Mistria. I don't expect you to answer it today. Jimmy, the actor Brian Cox has got something to tell you. Fuck off. Absolutely right. Fabricant was instructed by Labour's Chris Bryant to take down the tweet. But he refused to. Lots of people on Twitter reported Fabricant to Twitter. It's hilarious. People actually, women, mostly women, at least the, the, the tweets I saw seemed to be women, uh, take that down, Michael Fabricant. I'm reporting you to Twitter. Reporting you. Tattletales. Uh, he initially stood firm and refused to remove it, but ironically, eventually the same chief whip who told the MP accused of rape to stay at home told Fabricant to delete it, so he did. Excuse me. I'm a bit windy as well. as having a, a big pain in my shoulder. Yeah, Fabricant was told by the whip to delete it. So a Tory MP in his 50s, who has been an MP for 20 years-ish, was arrested and bailed on suspicion of rape. What I want to know is, why didn't he go to the whips in the first place to make it all go away for him? I mean, the whips of previous, you know, if you're in trouble, go to the whips. They'll get you out of trouble. Oh, it's been a long time since we heard this. Here's Tim Fortescue, now deceased. Former chief whip in Edward Heath's Tory government. Edward Heath is a former prime minister who was a child rapist. He really was. And this guy was his chief whip. If you're overseas and you don't know what the fuck a chief whip is or the whips are, the whips are employed by the parties uh, to keep the party members, the MPs, in line and voting the way they are supposed to vote and saying what they are supposed to say and staying on message and all that sort of thing. Okay? That's what a whip does. They're MPs, some of them. 
Here's Tim Fortescue speaking in 1997. This is what used to go on, still goes on. Which is why I can't understand why the alleged rapist didn't go to the whips to get him out of bother. Anyone with any sense who was in trouble would come to the whips and, and tell them the truth. They'd say, now this, I'm in a jam, can you help? It might be debt, it might be um, scandal involving small boys. Mm, might be a scandal involving small boys. Or any kind of scandal which um, a member seemed likely to be mixed up in. Likely to be mixed up in. this. The first time I saw this some years ago, it just grabbed me. It might be debt, it might be a scandal involving small boys, or something else that they're likely to be mixed up in. Likely. One of the things you might likely be mixed up in buggering young boys, yeah. They'd come and ask if we could help. And did you help Tim? And if we could, we did. Yeah. And we would do everything we can. Because everything. we would store up brownie points. Mm. If I mean, that sounds a pretty pretty nasty reason, but it's one of them. No, it doesn't sound nasty at all that somebody would come to you and say, I was buggering a young boy, I've been reported. Uh, and you said, don't worry, we'll get you out of it. Just vote the right way next week on the securities and exchange bill or on the finance bill. Just vote the way we tell you. Don't worry about the small boys. That's one of the reasons. Is if we can get a chap out of trouble, then you'll... He'll do as we ask forevermore. He'll do as we ask forevermore, said Tim Fortescue. Funnily enough, I don't believe, but I stand to be corrected, that James O'Brien has ever played that particular clip on his radio show. But as I said, I stand to be corrected. This is the Richie Allen Show. It's live from BBG Towers in Salford. With me, your BBG, Richie Allen. I'm uh, going to be with you till 7 o'clock. Coming up a little bit later on, Robert Hansen, a barrister, back on the programme. You don't want to miss him. Before that, though, lots more news to get through. Don't you just love it? The most listened to independent news radio show in the world. This is The Cult, and she sells sanctuary. That is uh, She Sells Sanctuary from The Cult on The Richie Allen Show. 22 minutes past five. Thanks for your messages. Lots of them. William says, James O lying, always good for a laugh. The man's clearly insane. Don't know if he's insane. Uh, he's spineless, though. That's what he is. He's truly odious. But he's not alone, is he? Dean says, I wonder how many people watching the BBC to that clip live back in 1997. I wonder how many viewers registered what Fortescue said or did the masses just glaze over because it was the Beeb and because he spoke posh. Sean Mack reckons he knows who the Tory MP is. I heard different names, Sean. There was one tweeting, uh, one name was very much at the forefront of Twitter yesterday. I'm not going to mention uh, who it might be because that wouldn't be right. It certainly wouldn't be right for me to do that. Uh, thanks, Craig, for your links. I'll check those out a bit later on when I get a chance to do that. Um, hi to Faisal, who says, Nothing ironic about pulling out, keeping in whips with an alleged rapist. Nothing at all, says Faisal. Uh, Dean says, Wait till Theo, a.k.a. Kojak, says, Coochie-coo baby to Michael. Yeah. Uh, Craig says Fluffer O'Brien a layman pastor preaching from a pulpit to an adoring flock well that's my biggest nightmare <laughs> my biggest nightmare I struggle with that all the time myself 
Am I not that I preach because I don't preach, I don't believe in it. But am I speaking to the converted, maybe? Am I speaking predominantly to people who already know there's a huge problem that needs addressing? I don't know. David says, with that artificial thatch, Michael Replicant is more descriptive. Yeah, strange one, isn't he? Strange one. Hi to Vicky, uh, who says, Michael spot the syrup fabricant. Neil says, I'm starting to think Richie is getting kickbacks from O'Brien. He plays him that much. Send him up a bit, but uh, kickbacks, I wish, Neil. That'd be handy, wouldn't it? Uh, hi to Charlotte and Burnley. Patrick says, play Misty for me brings back memories. I watched it in the 70s in an all-nighter triple bill at the Islington Cinema. The other two great films were Eastwood's The Beguiled and Charlie Varick with the great Walter Massow. Walter Massow, that's how you pronounce it, I think that's right. Paul says, evening Richie, refabricant. It gives me jokes whenever I hear his name. A politician with a name derived from the word fabricate. It's rather delicious, isn't it, says... Uh, Paul, thank you, Paul. Sure is. The spinelessness of him. The spinelessness of him. Hi to Imogen. I'm glad you enjoyed the run in or the lead into the program, Imogen. And hi to Diane Hughes as well. A warm welcome to the program to you. 25 minutes it is, just about past five o'clock, Wednesday's program. Let's talk about this for a few minutes. I tried to get some commentary on this this afternoon but I knew the guy who broke the story wouldn't talk to me because they generally don't want to talk to me because they'll be criticised later on and I understand that but uh, this is a story in the United States which I saw on Fox News's website again if you're new to the programme I read and watch pretty much everything so please don't read into me watching Fox News you know, that I would be someone who, you know, looks forward to or gets my, you know, my, my ideas from Fox News. Hardly. No, I don't. But I saw this on Fox News and then it was picked up by the Mail Online. You see, there are those who criticise people like me and they have justification for criticising me for what they call stoking the culture wars. You know, when I talk about things like this, or when my pal Hayden does it on Twitter, we're accused of basically not profiteering from it because we don't get any money, but that we're kind of living off it or dining out on it when it isn't true. And this proves that there's a need to talk about this stuff. Listen to this headline in the Mail Online. I've, I've verified as much of this as I possibly could. A school district tells Philadelphia teachers to attend kink trans-sex and BDSM workshop to learn more about trans community, where they were told there is no age limit for gender journey, how to use sex toys and what puppy fetishes are. Yeah. School district tells Philadelphia teachers to attend King Trans Sex and BDSM workshop to learn more about trans community, where they were told there is no age limit for gender journey, how to use sex toys and what puppy fetishes are. Yeah. I'm going to read a bit of this. Philadelphia's school district encourages staff to attend the largest free transgender wellness conference in the world, where extremely explicit content was shared in the name of breaking down barriers. The annual event was held online, organised by the Mazzoni Centre. Got to keep that 
in mind the Mazzoni Centre, which, under the leadership of Sultan Shakir, works to improve health and well-being among the LGBT community in Philadelphia. The school district, led by Superintendent William Height, emailed teachers and school staff on their mailing list in July 2021 to invite them to attend, describing it as an opportunity to learn more about the issues facing the trans community. Over the course of three days, virtual sessions were held on topics including gender, gender realignment surgery, prosthetics for sex, adult toys and consent. Christopher Rufo now, I invited this guy to speak and I got a pretty blunt no thanks. <laughs> fair enough. This is the guy who's broken this story. Doesn't want to talk with us, fair enough. Well, the story's important anyway. Christopher Rufo, a journalist specialising in school districts, wrote in his story for City Journal that attendees included adolescents. There's no age limit because I feel like everybody should be able to access certain information, said one of the hosts, according to Rufo. The audience heard from Dr. Scott Mosser, the principal at the Gender Confirmation Centre in San Francisco, who said that he has performed over 2,000 top surgeries which involve removing breasts. He said there is no age limit for beginning the gender journey and would be prepared to discuss the issues with children as young as 10, provided their parents consented. I do not have a minimum age of any sort in my practice, he said. Another session entitled Gender Affirming Masculine and Feminizing Hormones for Adolescents and Adults featured Dane Menken, Divisional Director of LGBTQ Services at Mainline Health, discussing treatments ranging from puberty-blocking hormones to manual breast-binding for masculinizing adolescent girls. Keep in mind, before I read more of this, they want teachers... To, to basically be on board with this stuff. I'm a strong proponent that you can bind for as many hours a day as you can tolerate binding, said Dane Menken. Several of the presentations were extremely graphic with detailed discussions of sexual fetishes uh, and sexual practices. One session saw instructors discuss various kink activities, including fetishes about puppies Mary Poppins and spanking. And then the Mail Online, through this guy Chris Rufo, quotes someone called Jamie Joy, who gave part of the presentation. Jamie Joy says, I haven't gotten to explore a lot of my mommy kink, and I think for tonight I'm really wanting to feel cared for, but also get punished a little, said Jamie Joy, who describes themselves as polyamorous. Jamie Joy, you see, dear listener, in my book, and I'm not a right-of-centre-thinking uh, human being, I'm not a conservative, I am a, an old-school liberal. Jamie Joy is a fucking freak and should be kept as far away from children and teachers and everybody else as possible. A freak. It goes on to say Lucy Fielding... Uh, led, uh, led a session. Lucy is a self-described white, queer, kinky, polyamorous, visibly able-bodied, Jewish, witchy, non-binary, trans femme. Simply put, another fucking freak, right? 
So the story goes on, now in its 20th year, the conference was originally a one-day event giving professionals training on how to become a competent healthcare provider for trans patients. The gathering, which will be held again in July this year, is uh, designed to help transgender, gender non-conforming, non-binary and intersex people to help them. (laughs) Yeah. It has grown into a three-day conference with free general admission to attendees and a thriving professional track for medical, behavioural health and legal providers, the organisers state. It has grown to provide a safe, affirming and inclusive space for children in our kids' camp and youth space. Who would allow any of these freaks... And these are supposed to be words and phrases unbecoming of a professional presenter. It's supposed to be a very bullying and demeaning thing to do to call someone a freak. It is alleged that to use language like that is somehow to dehumanise the person. That's not what I'm doing. These people are freaks. And it is what we would have called these people years ago. The behaviour is not normal. It's fucking sick. And it should have no proximity to children anywhere in the world. Let alone their teachers trying to normalise it through their teachers. And it's going on in this country as well. Mad shit that, isn't it? Isn't it? And people say all the time, who says, Richard, who says? I get emails from people. Even, you might say, loyal listeners who say, ah, stop with the culture wars, Richie, and that stuff. You know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's soft targets and it's lazy journalism. It isn't. It isn't. Because apart from this conservative journalist, and I'm not a conservative, if I have to say that again, I'll scream. Uh, Fox News and maybe the Mail Online, nobody else wants to touch this and accept it and the damage that this is doing to children, fucking their minds up, putting them alongside dangerous freaks like those people mentioned in that article there, freaks. I've seen them one time, only one time. I was in Manchester and I was hoping to meet up with uh, with um, Richard um uh, and Fred from Right Said Fred. It happened to be uh, Pride Weekend. And uh, we didn't get to meet at that particular time. But I was in the city on the Sunday, I think. And I saw some of that parade and some of the shit that was going on there. You know, we're not talking about gay men and women now. Walking for gay rights. I'm talking about freaks being led around on leads and stuff like that. Shit that should be left at home between consenting adults. So there you are. Mad stuff. I tried to get the journalist on the show, as I said, but um, this show was obviously beneath him. So um, sadly, no. We'll leave that one there for a minute. Come here, did you hear? um, Do you remember this guy, Jonathan Van Tam? Do you remember England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer? Well, he was. He resigned anyway. Absolute Dickhead. Remember him? He often flanked uh, Boris Johnson or Matt Hancock when Hancock was health secretary at these tedious but very, very uh, revealing, in terms of how dystopian things were getting, these briefings at Downing Street in 2020 when we were supposed to be in the midst of a devastating pandemic. Remember this arsehole Van Tam? Well, he was due to be knighted or given his knighthood on Tuesday, because he was named as a Sir Jonathan Van Tam 
in the Queen's New Year's honour honours list. But apparently, this arsehole uh, couldn't attend the ceremony uh, in person because apparently he has COVID. Yeah. Just in case you don't remember this arsewipe, here's a flavour of Don't tear the pants out of it. It's a bit like being... Don't tear the pants out of it. Don't tear the pants out of it. It's a bit like being 3-0 up in a game and thinking, well, we can't possibly lose this now. I think the mum test is very important here. Yeah, him. Remember him and his football analogies. If you want, if you want me to do a um, uh, a football analogy, then I, I I have thought about this. I would say that you know it's it's clear in the first half. Um, you know the um, the away team gave us an absolute battering. That's the virus. And um, what we've done now is it's the seventieth minute. Um, we've got um, they got a goal, um, and and in the seventieth minute we've now got an equaliser. And the vaccine was the equaliser. Okay. Fuck off. I can't listen to any more of that. Yeah, he couldn't attend his uh, ceremony, presumably with um, William or uh, Charles. Charles is in Canada, isn't he? With um, that horse-faced um, thing that he's with. Right, here's uh, another tune. It's Alice Cooper. It's Poison on the Richie Allen Show, Wednesday's programme. Good to be with you. Thanks for messaging me. Yeah. Robert Hansen, barrister, joins the programme in about 25 minutes' time. I'm in a heavy rock frame of mind today. The cult earlier, that is Alice Cooper and Poison. I'm Richie Allen. This is your Richie Allen show. It's yours. It belongs to you. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting and please continue to do so. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk Remember when this Ukrainian crisis first, not first, but shortly after, midway through, I don't. I don't know what I want to say. Remember they started talking about how we could house Ukrainian refugees if we wanted to. This vaudevillian thing they came up with where they asked us to play Tinder with Ukrainian refugees by going online, finding a Ukrainian person that seemed to be your cup of tea and then inviting them to come and live with you for six months where the government said we'll give you £350 a month if you do so. Remember remember that. (laughs) How did they get away with it, right? Choose the one you want online. Set up the whole shebang yourself and we'll give you a few bob for it. Remember that lunacy? Well, apparently it's not working out for some, it must be said. Not all. It's not working out for some. It is working out for others. Um, some have been booted out by their British hosts and are homeless in the UK, which might be better than being homeless in Ukraine, depending on which part of Ukraine you came from. By the way, Marilyn Hawes, somebody I have great time for, admiration, um, Mar- Marilyn from Freedom From Abuse, she warned that this would happen, and worse, didn't she? on the show, not the most recent time she was on, but the time before that. She said this will happen. This will happen. Families won't be able to cope because the families won't have the... um, They won't be qualified to deal with the problems that these people will be bringing with them. 
They won't have the experience or the qualifications. And then, of course, Marilyn warned about what would happen to the children. Um, she, she was right. Anyway, one mum who's finding it difficult, a woman called Cassie in Woking, spoke to LBC host Nick Ferrari and told Nick that she is hosting a Ukrainian and the Ukrainian's daughter, but uh, it's not all basically that it's cracked up to be. Well, I have a 32-year-old Ukrainian mother and oh. her 17-month-old daughter oh, wow. living with me. Um, I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old child myself. Both my husband and I work full-time in London. Um, oh, that's a lively yeah. household down in working, yeah. isn't it? Three under three, yeah. Um, our Ukrainian mother is lovely. We get on very well. Um, you know, she aligns sort of with our culture, let's say, in okay. terms of you know, social aspect and she's very, she's a very nice woman, but my goodness, can, it is hard. Can I ask how, I hate to use this expression, how you found her? Match is probably a better word. How did through, you get the match? <laughs> through Facebook, actually. Her husband uh, wrote the um, request on Facebook right. and um, I wanted to help a mother and a child because I've been through that myself, you know, recently and couldn't imagine being, having to leave my own country. So, I really wanted to help um, someone, but it, it is it is overwhelming the amount of support you have to give, um, not just in terms of food, clothing, nappies, um, you know, day-to-day care, but also then applying for universal credit, as you've heard, you yes. know, getting child How benefits. How hard is that, um, Katie? I'm all ears. How hard is it to get universal credit for the Ukrainian refugees? It's very hard when you are working also. Um, if I was retired or had nothing else to do, it wouldn't be so, so much of a problem. But my my employers are fantastic and they are supporting me through it. Um, but I quite often have to go into Woking to go to the council or go to the job centre to take her in for a meeting to prove that she can't work. It's like work another full-time job for you, isn't it? it on top of having a small family myself. And I'm, we're very lucky that we have a WhatsApp group in Woking with all the other hosts where we share um, best practice, we share stories. I had to take her to Croydon in a couple of weeks to be able to get her biometric test done. Um, I mean, it is... <laughs> How, what, are the, um, what are the genders of the three children, the 17-month-old little girl? And you've got... what? She's a little girl. Yeah. I've got two boys. And um, how are those three kiddies mixing? How's that going? So... It's not without its problems. The little girl's obviously been through quite a lot. She's um, not very verbal. Obviously, she's you know um, understands Ukrainian. Yeah, uh, she is quite physical with the boys, so we are um, battling her, doing a lot of grabbing and scratching. Um, mm. But then you know that could be my children <laughs> fighting each other at any point. But it's easier when it's your own children. But when it's somebody else's child, you know, sort of being a bit physical with yours, it can be. Um, it can be distressing for the mother and also for me. But, it's kicking off, eh? But I have contemplated whether or not it's too much for us all. Um, but then I think if that was me in that situation, you know, and it was well, reversed, I would want you. someone to help me. But How long God, are you hurts. hosting them for, Katie? Well, how long is a piece of string? Really? And, and is, is does your husband recognise some of the stress points? Yes, I mean he's lucky. He goes to work at five thirty in the morning and doesn't get home till seven. So right. he just cracks open the wine for us all at night. But um, I do. They get blissfully pissed in the evening. We wonder whether we've taken on too much. And at the back of my head, I'm always thinking, Yeah, how could I wind back on this? But 
you know, I can't. I've made a commitment, and there's no way I could. Well, you're very, you're very dedicated, and and I, I take my hat off to you. He takes his hat off to her. That's Katie there. Yeah, all is not well in homes for Ukraine land. As I said, it's probably working out for some, but there were a couple of newspaper stories doing the rounds today, um, which suggests that some of the Ukrainians who did find someone to take them in have been turfed out, basically. Banjo says it's strange how Van Tam swapped job places with Chris Whitty. He went from the top job to second in command. Never heard of a boss suddenly deciding he's going to play second fiddle to the person who was his subordinate. It's not unheard of, Banjo. It could have had something to do with with academic work, maybe, that um, that Van Tam was doing. But yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Richard says regarding the young Ukrainian mum, how effing good is she at minding the kids cleaning and cooking? Harsh, that harsh. Rob says, your guest last night mentioned the baby formula shortage happening in the United States. He did Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond. Lovely bloke, great journalist. Rob says, it turns out that Billy Boy Gates is working on some synthetic baby formula shite. And on a more sinister level, or even more sinister, uh, says Rob, getting vaccinated mothers to breastfeed could be the real motive behind it. That's Rob. Thanks, Rob. Scottish Al says the Van Tam football analogies are legendary. They make me laugh every time. There's a bit of the Alan Partridge about him, that is for sure. Tell you what, Al, he, he definitely liked the attention, didn't he? Not just him. People like Matt Hancock really loved it, yeah. Craig came back on to say, how do you get people to turn away from liberalism and back to the old ways? Craig says, flood the media with stories about exceptions to the norm to create the illusion that such behaviours are everywhere. Exaggerate the threat of a minority issue to achieve a desired change, he says. It wasn't so long ago that the media did the same thing over the threat of Islamic terrorists, or terrorism, yeah, or even the threat of COVID, same trick, different subject. Fair enough. Once they start telling you that something is terrible and it's dangerous... And it's really bad. You've got to take a step back and say, well, what what is, number one? And two, well, well, how bad and how dangerous is it really? Fear is a very powerful tool, you know. Pandora reckons that uh, the Queen is dead. The Queen is dead, boys. And it's so lonely on a limb. It's an album that must be in your collection. If it isn't, you're not worth a hat of crabs. You're not worth a hat of crabs. That's an Irish one too, isn't it? Yeah, Irish one. Because I was thinking, really, you know, some of these Ukrainian... I feel sorry for the Ukrainians who were taken in by British families who didn't realise that, you know, that potentially the people coming to live with them were troubled people. But I feel even more sorry... This is the truth now. I feel even more sorry for the Ukrainian refugees who went to stay with Irish families because there is a, a similar programme in, in Ireland where, where refugees can go and stay with families. I feel definitely more sorry for the Ukrainians who are taken in by Irish families because they won't be understanding what the feck is being said to them at any given time of the day. Can you imagine it? They'll have pigeon English anyway. 
and they're in some Irish home somewhere and they're here and stuff like Story Horse what's the crack Soft Day Sharon Grand aren't they on me Todd spoke to the other fella I see you have a pot of spuds on put another knob of butter on him stop acting the maggot you've got to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather was Tis supposed to be fine tomorrow, so it is. That's not easy for any Ukrainian listening to that shit. This is Tom Petty on the Richie Allen Show. Tom Petty from Full Moon Fever. I won't back down. It's the Richie Allen Show. Uh, don't forget, how could you forget, I've told you a dozen times, Robert Hansen, the barrister who left uh, the UK in the 90s to open his own firm in Hong Kong and was there for many years and spoke to us on the programme some months ago about the tyranny of the place and the world in general. Robert will be with me uh, not too far away now. He'll be with me in about 10 minutes' time. Really interesting guy. Remember one of the phone-ins, the most recent phone-in, Rachel rang in from Portugal. Remember Rachel, lovely lady. She was sat, I think, with her baby, her baby daughter. She had fled Hong Kong because of the encroaching tyranny there with her husband. And they'd gone to uh, stay in, was it the Algarve? It was in Portugal anyway. Rachel had left Hong Kong and uh, had gone to stay with her mum in or her fella's mum it might be her mum in Portugal really interesting call that was uh, I know Robert heard that because he made reference to it when he emailed me to say that he was settled back in the UK and he was ready to come on and have a bit of a chat which is why I've invited him back on uh, today thanks for your uh, many messages the way the only way to reach me is uh, through richieallen.co.uk and it's comment live that's how you do it Busy says, me and my identical twin brother are doubles. Ed Sheeran, we once decided to swap places for a few days to see if it would spice up our sex lives. Waste of time. Girls still said, F off you ugly C. Boom, boom, boom. Very good. Hi to Keen who says, Richie, I've just come back from Mexico, he says. And boy, you crack me up. You're back from Mexico. Tell us this, Keen. No, I don't have to ask that question. Mexico doesn't require too much of its uh, incoming holidaymakers, does it? I don't think you need to have jabs or anything like that. Let me know anyway, Keen. Uh, John Heffernan says, within a few days, we will have given them Irish names and catch them for a few days in the bog. <laughs> yeah. Bob says, Richie, the legal system and its army of barristers are the real problem. Civil rules have replaced natural law and basically enslaved every man, woman and child to the system. John is uh, John Rorty is a friend of ours, um, long-time listener. John, lovely to hear from you. He says, Richie, the gay community has been fractured by the woke here in the United States. Many of us are abandoning the alphabet soup acronyms. Time to go back to gay men, gay women and genuine transgender and transsexual people. I have no time any longer for the happy, happy rainbow madness that's patronising, perverse and destructive. Thanks, John. And the only gay people I know are older people. I'm not saying John is older now, but John is about my age. Maybe he's a bit older. But um, no, they they don't have any time for it either. You know, because that that doesn't represent homosexuality. 
It doesn't. I, I grew up with, with, with a, a gay man. I, I learned my, 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 my trade under the tutelage of a great man who just happened to be gay. I said this on the show yesterday. Our sexuality doesn't define us. But it seems to be important to some agendas that they tie our identities in with uh, our sexuality. And I know older gay men. All that older gay men and gay women ever wanted from society was to be left the fuck alone. Leave us alone. What we, who we live with, who we love and share our lives with is none of your business. So keep your Old Testament nonsense to yourself. Leave us get on with our lives. Um, we're your brothers, your sisters, your workmates, your work colleagues. We are your teachers, your bosses. We are your employees. We're the same as you. Leave us alone. And that was a struggle, that. That was a huge struggle. I know. I know it damn well. I told a story on this show. It is as true as you are listening to me today. And there are people in Waterford who will confirm this. Billy McCarthy, God rest him, and his um, partner, Des, they, they had to ask me on occasion, to walk from the town centre up through Ballybricken and onto the Glen in Waterford, where there was a gay bar once a week. This was in 2000, 2001, because even then there were still guys hanging around with the intention to assault the gay men who were going to the bar to have a few drinks. I ended up DJing at that gay bar for about a year and a half. It was great crack. Although it, it, it didn't suit some of the gay uh, lads who ran the business or who frequented it because they preferred that the bar staff and the entertainment staff be gay. And I, I totally understood that. It's a gay bar. And they used to get pissed off when straight people would go to the bar. Because some, these were some, most of the attendees were young men and young women. So they were looking to meet people, basically. And they used to say to the straight people going in there, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Don't you have the whole town to yourselves? Why are you coming to the gay bar? Leave us well enough alone. <laughs> so, in the end, when I uh, finished my stint as the resident DJ, the job given to me by a lovely bloke called uh, Jerry Forrestal, Jerry himself a gay man. In the end, he found a gay DJ. But yeah, even in 2000, this was going on, this shit. So there was a struggle for acceptance. Not acceptance, just leave us alone. You know, I, I never met a gay man or a lesbian woman who wanted affirmation from me or anyone else. They didn't need affirmation. They didn't need to be told that we think you're okay. They didn't need that shit. They just wanted to be left alone. I remember having many a conversation with Billy, his partner, Des, some of their friends, uh, some of their gay friends who they knew from Cork and Dublin. That was the gist of it. Just leave us alone. You know, and look, let us get married in... In, in the town hall because there are tax issues. You know, married couples enjoy favourable tax terms that we don't get. Inheritance, you know, it's important. Just let us get married for fuck's sake. Yes, absolutely. Why would anybody want to deny you that? John Rorty has summed it up there. What, what we're witnessing with the attempt to 
you know, bring fetishism and stuff like that into chil- into schools. And I'm not virtue signaler. I'm not trying to score points with anybody. That is not a gay agenda. It's got nothing to do with gay men or gay women. And that's a fact. That's something. That's something very, very, very sinister. That's about destroying the minds of children. And some of the loudest opponents of this stuff are gay men and women, and they're usually older, trans, older gay men and women and older trans men and women, who have no time for it. And they shouldn't feel tainted by it. That's why I challenged uh, Gerardo Colmón on the programme the other night when he said that gays should speak out against it. No, they shouldn't. That's, that's like saying that, that Jews should, um, should publicly speak out against the state of Israel's crimes against humanity, against the Palestinians. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Because just because they happen to be Jewish doesn't mean that they're in any way... It shouldn't be assumed that they agree with the policies of the state of Israel. Nor should it be assumed that your gay neighbour is in agreement with some of the things that are going on, like in the story we talked about earlier on. That's tyranny, that. When you, when you say to somebody, unless you speak out against something, I'm going to assume that you agree with it. That is tyranny. You know, people have the rights, everyone should have the right to keep their own counsel. I've said it a thousand times. At least 500 times a year, I tell somebody, my opinions are my business. Piss off. Nothing to do with you. So what are your opinions on the trans thing then, Richie? Do you think trans women are really women? Now, that's not being said to me. But if that was said to me outside the programme by someone who didn't know anything about my programme, I would tell them to fuck off and mind their own business. None of your business what I think. Because what you're trying to do is play is put everything in terms of binary choice. You're trying to make everything black or white, and you're trying to trap me into giving an answer so that you can either condemn me, cancel me, or you want me to give the right answer so, so, that, so that I will be marked as a good citizen or as a safe citizen. No, I'm not having any of that old garbage. Coming up for three minutes past the hour. Uh, I think it's time we got Robert on the programme. But before I do that, I've got to drag out a tune. He mentioned a song to me, which I hadn't heard for, I reckon I haven't heard it for probably 20 years. It's a a song by Hazel O'Connor. And he says to me, did did Robert Hanson, the the barrister, he said, Richie, give it a spin, that song, because the the theme... uh, the themes of the song are kind of relevant to some of the things we're going to be talking about on the show. Uh, here it is then. It is um, eighth, I can't say it, eighth day, eighth day by uh, the great Hazel O'Connor. God, it's been years since I heard this. That is eighth day from Hazel O'Connor. I'm going to say 1980. That's my guess. Robert Hansen qualified as a barrister back in the mid-1990s in London. He moved to Hong Kong to set up his own firm, Silk Road Chambers Limited. He uh, is a brilliant uh, guy. We had a fantastic chat with him on the programme a few months ago. We talked about the situation in Hong Kong, how increasingly Orwellian and dystopian it was getting there. Um, He also talked a lot, basically, about how the law has been undermined in recent decades, recent years, but, but just how that was expedited during the whole so-called COVID crisis. Now, Robert has moved back to the UK 
and he left us know that he was back and uh, graciously agreed to come back on the programme. And uh, let's just welcome him back first. Robert, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. Thank you, Richie. Um, can you hear me okay? Because I'm, this time I'm actually using a telephone rather than the, the internet. Yeah, it's a, it's a wee bit echoey. I'm guessing you probably have me on hands-free. It just, it's a wee bit echoey, but it, it's good. We can hear, I can hear you loud and, and clear. No, no problems with the, with the phone line, uh, Robert. Listen, um, you, 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 you happened, I think, to hear one of the phone-in shows and Rachel's call Rachel, who had left Hong Kong with her young baby and husband to go to Portugal because things were getting too uh, awful, basically, in Hong Kong. And that obviously strikes a chord with you because of your own experiences. Um, you, d- you did hear the call, didn't you? Yes, I did. And that's why I, I actually decided to, to send you an email because um, of what she said, I thought it was very accurate, um, the way she expressed herself. So, when did you make the decision to leave? Um, was it a culmination of things? I mean, we knew when we spoke to you anyway that it was probably, it was obviously inevitable, it was going to happen. Was there a straw, Robert, or was it just an accumulation of things and you decided, that's it, I'm going back? It was an accumulation. No, I would say a straw. A, a definite moment was when they decided to to lock down buildings and force test everybody. And I- that's what struck a chord with me when Rachel called last time, I think, because she said that was the reason she left, and it was the reason I left. I did not want to be force tested and then put into quarantine, if testing positive, for 21 days and remain there until I tested negative. Because if you keep testing positive, you're going to be stuck there forever. You could be there and, forever, yeah. And some of these quarantine places, because they're short of space, They've gone for um, what they've gone for is shipping containers, and they now are called a quarantine room. And you may have to fit into those um, those quarantine those um, shipping containers a couple of families. So imagine a shipping container for shipping goods. That's now part of a quarantine centre. And I would not want to spend 21 days in a place like that. Um, that's the that was probably the straw that broke the back. And it was the fact that they can roll up at your house or your apartment block, uh, put a cordon around it and say, you cannot leave until everybody's tested. And if you don't take the test, you're going to go to prison for six months. No questions asked. I didn't like that. And um, they planned eventually to force test everybody. Uh, I didn't want that either. And also they made vaccination compulsory. They made it impossible to, to work, um, to go to restaurants, cinemas, um, supermarkets, um, enter any kind of sporting facility unless you'd had three vaccinations. And I was perhaps no way I was going to take any of those vaccines. Which is exactly so, what Rachel said, yeah. She said that very thing, yeah. And, and that, 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 that's the reason why I called you because, or text, um, emailed you because what the media is trying to say is because it's a national security law. If, if you listen to Boris Johnson, who granted the BNO visas to all Hong Kong people, which allows them to come to the UK for five years, the reasons given for that were um, because of something called a national security law. But in reality, it's like, as I've described, and it's as Rachel described, the reason why people are coming in large numbers is simply because of the forced vaccination policy. 
But yet, the British government and all these human rights lawyers are telling people the wrong story. They're, the real reasons the vaccine has got nothing to do, or very little to do, with the national security law. And that's why I really wanted to make that very clear to listeners and, and try to get the word out that, once again, the British government is manipulating um, facts and giving attributing false reasons for a particular event. Did you manage to leave before they began cordoning off places to force test people? Did you get out before that began? No, it, it had already started. And, um, and really within a few weeks of it starting, we got out. Um, and, and in order to get out, and this was another thing that really annoyed me, um, I entered into a series of um, emails with the British consulate in Hong Kong and also Philip Davies, the last MP, uh, for me in England. And um, I wanted to know why I had to pay 140 British pounds, equivalent to that, in Hong Kong, and also my wife, 140 British pounds in Hong Kong, and then another 50 pounds before leaving Hong Kong for a test in Hong Kong and a test in the UK. So that's just shy of 200 British pounds on testing. And at the time, the British government had said, if you've had a vaccination, you don't need to take any tests. But if you're not vaccinated, you have to take a test. And at the time, Keir Starmer was vaccinated, tested positive. Prince Charles, vaccinated, tested positive. And a number of high-profile um, actors and actresses also double-vaxxed, testing positive. So my point was they could fly into the UK without having to take a test, even though they were positive, not paying any money, they could just fly straight there. I, unvaccinated, had to take a test. It seemed to me that this was wrong, this distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated, given that vaccinated people were testing positive. So that delayed things for a while. Um, because of that, the question that I wanted answering. Um, but in the end, we just paid the money and came. At, th at that stage, you just wanted to get the hell out of there and get back home. We did. I mean, we took a horribly long flight. Um, it was a 22-hour flight because there were no direct flights between the UK and Hong Kong. Normally, it's about 12 hours. Um, but we had to go Hong Kong to Bangkok, Bangkok to Dubai, and then Dubai to London. Dreadful. And that's about 22 hours. I imagine, well, it probably didn't cross your mind, but it might have crossed your mind to kiss the ground when you when you got down off the plane it's just to, say, to say thank God you know, we got back. But you know, what, what, what I'm struck by listening to this and reading about what's happened in, in Beijing and Shanghai and reading about what might be going on in North Korea. A question keeps coming up, Robert, on this programme, or, or, or at least we talk about it from time to time. Do you think that could ever... Look, I'm going to put aside the pretense of being naive and just say, do you think that'll happen here next time? Absolutely. I, I may happen with COVID. I think they're going to try it on again in this case with COVID. I, I think they're going to really try that. But the big thing, the really, really big thing is going to be this global warming scam. Yeah. That's the thing they're going to have the lockdowns with. I think they will try COVID again. Um, but what I notice, I'm currently in a place called Bury St. Edmunds in Suffolk. And I'm actually staying, <laughs> this is why I can hear the echo, I'm staying in an American U.S. Um, military house that's rented out to the military. It's a bit of a strange thing coming for China and ended up in one yeah. of these things. 
And it's simply because my friend's sort of father-in-law rents these properties out to the military here. And one just happened to be empty. So we're staying in one and um, it hasn't got any furniture in it, hence the echo. Um, so we're sending one of these and um, we hear military training every day. And these are super fast flight fighter planes uh, from about uh, seven in the morning until about six at night. If you'd have called 10 minutes early, you could hear the, the planes and the shooting and the practice. It's scary, planes. isn't it? I was in the Lake District in, in the spring, in the early spring, for my spring break with, um, with the missus. And you'll know yourself that there's a base up there. And uh, a couple of times, some very, very spectacular-looking fighter jets flew low over us when we were in um, Grasmere Lake. And it scared the shite out of me. It really did. And I thought, imagine being underneath one of those for real if they were dropping bombs on you. Terrifying stuff, really. I don't know, I don't know if it scares you when you hear them, but they're bloody loud. If they were flying now, we would struggle. I mean, we couldn't get yeah, yeah. This room is triple glazed. Um, and it, it's incredibly loud. You, you, you would really struggle to speak to each other if they were flying over. And they tend to fly in groups of four, three or four, and then another three or four will come. And they are very low. They're below the height of the trees. So this is the, and they, they're very close. I mean, closer than anything I've ever seen before. Are they excited, not to go off the topic now, because we're going to talk about global warming, which is nonsense. We do. Like, so, yeah. so, so, so are they getting excited uh, because of what's going on in Ukraine? Is activity increasing? Has anybody told you that, or have you asked anyone? Um, yeah, I, I did actually ask an insurance broker <laughs> who used to work at the base, and he said the activity is higher now than it has been um, before Christmas, right, and and it it does feel quite intense, which might be natural. It might be enormous. It doesn't mean they're going to be flying over Ukraine anytime soon. And World War Three doesn't mean that, but um, but still, yeah, it's 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 worrying stuff. Robert, let me because I, I want to give you, um, we're eighteen minutes past six. I want to give you all the time we we can between now and five to seven. I don't want to be speaking. The listeners have heard enough of me tonight. Just want to remind our listeners, it's Robert Hansen, barrister uh, who qualified in London, has spent um, many years in Hong Kong running his own firm, Silk Road Chambers Limited. He's explained why he's gotten out of Hong Kong. It's um, it's unimaginable. But but Robert believes that it might um, happen here and that it might, you, you know, the pretext for it might be that global warming has gotten so out of control that we need to take very drastic measures and people need to be, you know, restricted in their activities. Do you want to talk a bit more about that, the sort of things that might be on the table in the future? Yeah, let's, let's do a bit of that. Um, we need to go back to real basics first. Um, the claim made is that um, we've got dangerous global warming or dangerous climate change, and this is caused by human carbon dioxide emissions, so CO2. But the media tries to pass it off as carbon emissions because carbon emissions sound dirty and horrible and nasty. In reality, it's CO2 emissions. And carbon dioxide, I think I mentioned last time, is transparent. You can't see it. It's odorless, smells of nothing. And it combines with sunlight and through a process of photosynthesis, causes plants and trees to grow. And there is absolutely no link between carbon dioxide and temperature if you take it over the lifespan of planet earth which is over four and a half billion years the reason why they get the link is they 
claim that temperatures record began in about 1880 and we were just coming out of a, a cold period and so temperatures have been increasing but not due to carbon dioxide emissions it's more due to the solar activity than carbon dioxide emissions and another key point on that and the IPC agrees on this is that less than three percent of all carbon dioxide comes from human activity so why on earth are we focusing on three percent to impose so many demands and restrictions on people. Um, the first thing I noticed about it was when they banned the incandescent light bulb. Um, it was, they started banning it in 2008 and phased it out in 2012. And this came out because the European directive in 2008 made it clear that the UK had to fall in line with UK regulations and label all products A to G. This is the nightmare. I mean, it lays dormant for a while. And then as the application bites, we're all in trouble. So if you buy a car now and it's got high CO2 emissions, you pay a fortune in road tax. Yeah. But in reality, road tax is supposed to reflect and pay for damage to the road That's and right. keep roads in good repair for drivers. Nothing to do with CO2. So if somebody drives an electric car or a diesel car, which will have generally low CO2 emissions, they will pay much lower road tax than somebody driving a petrol car like me foolishly bought a petrol car and pay now 585 pounds road tax for this thing. Oh. Um, whereas if I had a diesel car, I may pay 60 pounds a year. But it's the same damage to the road, which whichever right. yeah. car I use. So why on earth is it kind of, you know, um, cast in terms of carbon dioxide emissions? Because it wants to get inside your head. The light bulb thing wanted to get inside your head. It made it got people involved changing light bulbs in their own home. Churches got involved. They had Boy Scouts going around for the bobber job a day. You know, we can help you and save the planet by changing your light bulbs from a, an incandescent to a curly whirly CFL light bulb. So it got people actively doing things. This is what they want to do, not to engage people. And I think this week, foolishly, I turned on Radio 2 a couple of times. And they've got the Green Week and they're saying, call us, tell us what you're doing to save the planet with this. So every radio show, from the morning show right to the evening, every show now has a celebrity guest telling them what they've done to reduce their CO2 emissions. This is you know, it's brainwashing, constant, constant brainwashing. And it's a blatant lie. That's what really annoys me. So the CO2 has got into every aspect of life. It's got into your light bulb. It's got into your car. And it's now got into properties because I'm looking to buy a house. So I started looking more into this and we've got something called the minimum, minimum energy efficient standards. So if a house, remember the, the ratings go A to G, A being the, the best lowest CO2 rating, G being the worst. Now, if you want to rent a house out at a grade E, you can't do that because the, the, these minimum energy efficiency standards have kicked in and said you can't rent out houses that are grade E standard. And then by 2030, that's the key date, of course, we all know about that, you've got to have at least a grade B. That is going to have a massive impact on old houses because old houses will never in a million years make that standard. And what I've noticed when looking at property here is that you've got groups of people now um, such as legal and general buying up the whole whole new building sites building apartments which are grade a or b rating 
and around Bury St Edmunds, it used to be pretty little town, massive new developments all around. But a lot of these have been sold to investors. And I think what's going to happen is that you're going to be forced into one of these new build houses because of the grade B rating. Yeah. And people in these old houses essentially are going to be legislated out of them. And so you'll be in a position where you won't even be able to own a house because the investors have bought up all the A's and B's and you're going to be stuck in a, in a property that's probably going to be worthless by 2030. Can I jump in there? So what, sure. what, the, yeah. developer, what the developers are building... Might that be what a very old friend of mine wrote about and called human settlement zones? Is that what they're building? You could say that. It's almost like a copy of Hong Kong because yeah. see, in Hong Kong, when you have apartment blocks, they're called estates, and you only used to have about two entrances to them. So if you want to lock them down, they're very easy to lock down. And it's a little bit like with these new developments. I, I went to, to view some apartments. And they look quite flash, new apartments. And when you drive in, the, the car will recognize your number. The, there's a, something on the barrier that recognizes your number plate. And then the barrier raises and lets you go in and park. So it logs the time you enter. And then when you leave, it logs the time you leave. Then if you look in going to the bathrooms, the chats and give you the time of day. And you think, oh, this is quite flash. Oh, day, that's nice. And it gives you the temperature. And it gives you the start time you turned it on and the start time you turned it off. Wow, and that's linked wow, to a smart wow. meter. Now, yeah. the, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you might think, wow, this is flash, this is great, this is cool. That's what it's meant to be. But I see a darker side to this. We're being measured. You, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're not going to be able to do anything. Mm. Now, in Hong Kong and China, it's forced upon people. It's open. It's blatant. But in the UK... It's, it's subtle. You don't notice it, but it's the same thing that's happening at about the same speed. Now, you've panicked people, so I've got to jump in. You've panicked people. Um, the, the people like myself, I can refer to myself, even though I'm seeing these messages. I've had an email from a friend as well. I um, We own a very old former council house in Salford. We nearly own it. It's um, 100 years old. And it probably won't make the energy efficiency rating standard or meet it, uh, as you described, um, I think, very eloquently and I think correctly a moment ago. Now, that is so freehold, so that will, you know, soon enough be ours. But you're saying that they might attempt to legislate to take us out of our own freehold, our own land at some point in the future because of climate change. I think this is what they aim. If you look at the you big think they aims, might want to do that. You will own nothing. Yeah. And you're going to be happy. And so you have these institutional investors buying up all the properties. And then when they've got the housing stock up, they can say, well, first we'll offer you some grants or something to bring you up to a bit of a standard. And the next thing will be, it's impossible for you to do that. This house is an environmental disaster. It's a liability. I'm sorry, you're going to have to move into one of these other properties and your house is worthless. And another trick they're playing for these investors, again, I've noticed this from Legal General, they will say, you can buy the property, but you only own 75% of it. Right. And we're going to own the other 25%. So you will pay either cash for 75 or cash and mortgage or mortgage for 75%. And then you'll rent the rest of, this, the rest of that 25% 
from us forever until, until you get, you'll never get that 25% error. So when they have that, they have control of that property because it will come with terms and conditions of what you can and cannot do with that property. So again, you will own nothing. This seems to be where we're going. And I find that very annoying because for me, I love old buildings. I like old buildings with high ceilings and a lot of natural light because yeah. there's air in those buildings. Buildings need to breathe. If you go inside one of these new properties, there's no air inside them. They might look pretty, but there's really no air in them and you feel horrible. So what we're building are properties that are not comfortable to live in, not healthy properties. Um, and the old properties built with traditional materials are not going to have the same toxicity as some of these new built properties. And air is going to be going through them. The best analogy I can give you on that is if you think about a raincoat, you know, and you put a, a plastic raincoat over you, it keeps out the water, but you sweat like crazy. Yes, yes, yeah. And, if, and even if you unzip it a little bit to let some air in, you still sweat like crazy. And that's like a new home where you try to get air into opening the window because they don't breathe. And the old homes are like a Gore-Tex coat. So you can have it zipped up, a very good Gore-Tex coat, and it breathes. And that old house breathes and you don't sweat and you feel comfortable. And these new houses they can make you feel very, very uncomfortable. You've just Inside. described our, our house. Our house is 100 years old, a little bit more. And it, um, it does breathe. It, it is comfortable. It retains the heat incredibly well in the winter without, with, without all of their, you know, lagging and what, what do they say, insulation. Because it was yeah. so well built when it was built back in 1920, it's, um, it's warm in the winter. We don't need to have gas central heating on very often. Now, you've reminded me of something. Robert Hansen, the barrister, is our guest, and he's talking about what they might be planning to do to people in the name of Agenda 2030 in the name of climate change, but really in the name of the Great Reset enslaving humanity. He's talking about what they, they might make, what they might do to people in terms of how people live, um, forcing people into these, um, you know, newer build uh, homes where you might own 75% of it and you have to rent 25% of it. And I, I'm not jumping in and arguing too much with Robert because I, I suspect he's right here. I can't say he's right. I can't endorse this because I don't know as much as he does, but I suspect um, he, he, he is right here. So, so on this thing... Um, on, on that point about the, the, the step to 2030, the aim is by 2030, it's got to be at least a grade B. Um, there's a stepping stone between grade E to grade B, and this is slightly up to debate. So by 2025, and certainly by 2027, it's got to be a grade C. And that's quite difficult to get to, is a great scene. So they, they did the same thing with the light bulb. They banned first the 150, then the 100 watt, then the yeah. 60 watt, and then everything. So they stagger it in, and this is what they're doing now. And the reason why they do that is because people will say, well, I'm lucky, mine's a great D. But if everybody was forced a great B on day one, you'd have an outcry. But doing it this way, this staggered way, and giving a little bit of financial help, I think up to about £3,500, um, you can get grants from the government to bring your property up to that standard. Then it stops people all at once taking action, saying, we're not having this. And this is how they psychologically playing the game to take you down a track and to get people to say, I'm all right, Jack. 
Yeah. And then pick you off one by one. I'm struggling to... Not to believe it, because I've already said I, I, I can see this, but, but I've just had one of those moments, which maybe you had one of these moments in Hong Kong, where the horror of it is basically washing over me, that they will tell homeowners, as a means to getting them out of their homes, they will tell them that their homes are basically killing the planet. Um, so we're going to get you out of them. I mean, it's just, it's, it's outlandish. It's, I can't find the words, really, to describe it. But I could see it coming. And can I just ask you your thoughts? Where does the heat pumps fit into this? You know, they say we're getting rid of gas boilers because they are killing the planet too. So we need to get people to install heat pumps which draw heat from from the earth, uh, from the ground, from under the ground, outside the homes. I've heard lots of so-called experts say that these heat pumps are pie in the sky, that they're not going to work, that they're going to be very expensive and it's going to be a big disaster. But governments are saying we're going to force people uh, to have their boilers taken away and these heat pumps. What do you know about this, Robert? Mm, I think what, what I know, know about it is when people do the energy performance certificates, there are tick boxes they have um, in order to assess where, with what grade you are. And one of those is the type of boiler in your home. So if it's an old, old boiler, they'll say, big cross, that's going to mark you down a lot. If you have a heat pump, big tick, you'll, you'll get more points for your grade. I think that's where they fit in. Um, now, these things are quite expensive, certainly at the moment. And do they work? I don't know enough about them as to whether they work or not. Me neither. I've not seen them in, in, in operation, so I can't really comment on that. Fair enough. That's, on, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One, one thing on your Salford thing, um, when I was in Hong Kong, I like sort of commercial law and property law. And um, I was asked to give a talk on, on UK property to some Hong Kong people who were interested in investing in the UK. I wish I hadn't gone and done it. And foolishly, I said, well, what about something called HMOs, multiple occupancy? This is the law for HMOs. This is what you do. And, and they said, well, where would you invest? I said, well, probably somewhere between a university and a hospital. And that probably takes some old red brick houses because they've got lots of space and divide them all up. And I think, unfortunately, your area, <laughs> a lot of Hong Kong people and people from Singapore have been buying properties around the Salford area, these red brick houses, yeah. and dividing them into to four or five um, separate apartments. And you are a bit of a genius, Mr. Hansen. You're bang on. You are bang on. I've only been reading about this recently and I walk past these properties. Rent a room here. Rent a room here. Everywhere in Salford. Even on the streets adjoining um, our own property. Yes, spot on. They're doing that now. They're converting houses into four or five little self-contained units and offering them for rent for astronomical sums of money. Because this is how it works. Yeah. You can buy... One of those, um, well, you could buy them uh, for about £125,000, something, or maybe £150,000. And then you, you'd pay lower property tax when you buy it because it's not, tax is quite low. Then you pay some people to, to convert it into, let's say, four or five apartments. And the rate of return, they will sell each, rent each of those out at about £450, £460. So then if you, for the capital outlay, you can pull about 10% return, which is very good. 
um, and that attracts investors. So people in Hong Kong and Singapore, Dubai, all over the world are buying these properties in Manchester and yeah. got local management companies to do it. By the way, Robert, you've just um, solved a mystery for me. A terraced house in Weast in Salford sold uh, a few months ago for the eye-watering amount of £240,000. Now, I, my missus and I, we just about own now a three-bedroom semi-detached house and we didn't pay anything anywhere near that. You know, we got a small mortgage. Uh, and a terraced house, uh, has, and it's, it, it's been converted into four bedrooms. It sold for £240,000. And the same house 20 years ago would have sold for about twelve grand. Correct. Correct. And it's all about um, the return on investment. And that's how they see it. The people Jesus buying these properties have never even been to Manchester. They don't even know where Manchester is. And unfortunately, um, even... On the internet, there's a guy comes up on Singapore. I used to work for the Singaporean government. If you buy Singaporean property, you'll get a very low rate of return. However, there are better opportunities in Salford, in Manchester, in Birmingham, and all these red brick towns where you can get 10% of years how you do it. That's it. You, you become a, a very attractive area for investment. Um, they're also buying up a lot of new apartments as well. Um, in, I mean, it used to be London. But then that spread out to Mount Birmingham, Manchester, and then Birmingham. It'll be Glasgow. It'll be Edinburgh. It'll yeah. be Dublin. So, do you think that Everywhere. there's insider knowledge here that these people know the Great Reset is coming, and that people are going to people are going to be forced out of the homes they own and into these let's call them human settlement zones? Do you think there's insider knowledge, and that is why they're buying them up? Ooh, I don't. I think it's. Certainly just from the, That's a stretch, is it, from, from on, on my behalf? It's a bit of a stretch, that maybe, that, that, that they know what's maybe. coming. I, I think, interesting. I think our not very good friend, Tony Blair, when he was Prime Minister, he was saying, oh, house prices are going down. But I think he ended up buying seven properties while he was in office. And that sort of sent a signal that um, things were moving in, in an upward direction. And, but in terms of the investors overseas, what happens is you have these, the building contractors, and before you can even buy them in, in anywhere in the UK, they take them on a tour um, before they're built, and they sell them in Hong Kong. I, I spoke to the, one of the people giving the other talks and went out for a beer, and this must have been 2018, something like that. And at that time, he said, the UK property market's dead. And I thought, oh, great, prices should fall. And he said, it's only the overseas market that's keeping it propped up. And all the developers know this. So the major developers go to Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai, Malaysia, and they sell most of the properties off plan before they're even released in the UK. And so you get institutional developers buying up all these UK properties and driving up the prices. And there's two there's a big reasons for that. Well, two big reasons. Number one, low interest rates. So the other big sales tactic is you can get a mortgage for 1.8%, lock it in for 10 years, and you're going to get a 10% return. And these things are very well organized, the talks, and essentially you can finance it basically on fresh air if you're buying a few of them. So you've actually got nothing in the game, but you're getting a good rental return. 
and that's how they do it. And they sell these all over the world. The second reason is because the British pound is very weak. When I went to Hong Kong, one pound would buy 15 Hong Kong dollars. Now, um, you only need less than 10 Hong Kong dollars to buy a pound. Therefore, depending if you're going up or you're going yeah. down, you get between 30 to 50% discount on a, pro- on, a, on a UK property if you're an overseas buyer, because, just because of the exchange rate. People who are so, leaving uni now, um, listening to you, th- they haven't got a cat in health chance of owning a property. They just don't. Um, I know this. I speak to estate agents from time to time as well. You know, we get emails from them, letters through the door. They're begging people for properties to sell. Um, what What is being built is exactly what you described. So so they're not going to be buying these. They're going to end up renting them. So owning, correct, correct. owning your and own so house is going to be, that's a thing of the past. It's It's gone, basically. You will own nothing. And you will own happy. nothing. So I think the people doing these investments, these investments, don't know they're part of this grand scheme. They just yeah. something correct. Yeah, it was a stretch. It was a stretch by me to imagine they did. But somewhere along that, you know, somewhere up that pyramid, someone does know what's coming and 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 might be also making a killing. But but you're right. You know, the rank and file won't 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 have any idea. Let me read a couple of quick comments to you because, um, un- understandably. There's, there's a lot of interest in this. You're listening to Robert Hansen. He's a barrister, a very experienced man who spent years in Hong Kong running his own firm, Silk Road Chambers Limited. Uh, Hong Kong has descended into tyranny and he's gotten out of there with his wife. He's back in the UK. Um, just a couple of quick ones. Um, Jenny says the European Union has passed laws making it difficult to replace gas boilers. Mine has had to be removed and the electric system, which my landlord has had to replace it with, is basically rubbish. So it was removed and replaced with an electric system, which is rubbish. Isabel says every day we are bombarded by CO2 emission reduction about stopping the destruction of trees. Uh, I can't remember the last time I heard a debate on the negative impact of the worldwide destruction of trees. Last year, Amazon sold 71.1 million products. I wonder how many trees had to be destroyed to box them all. Uh, That's a great point she's making because trees obviously are uh, CO2 breathers. Want to do some good for the planet, says Isabel. Start by the destruction of Amazon. She's making a good point. Conventional science has basically been ripped up and turned on its head, hasn't it? With CO2. I mean, look, CO2, right at the beginning, and is combined with um, sunlight through a process called photosynthesis, makes trees grow. It causes trees to grow. It causes food to grow. Every single human being breathes CO2. It is not harmful. It's not dark smoke. It's not a pollutant. And yet, on the radio, the mainstream media, people say CO2 pollutant. That's how they do it. They wrongly describe it as a pollutant, and people think it's dark black smoke. It isn't. It's transparent and it's odourless. It's not a problem. And it's harmless. It's a good thing. Um, I think. Sorry, Robert. Historically, historically, if we look at this historically, planet Earth is four and a half billion years old. We've had two Roman warm periods, two Egyptian warm periods, and a medieval um, warm period. And in those times, societies prospered. There was very little conflict. People, you know, society was wealthy. There's abundance of food. We lived in times of abundance. And it's in times of cold, it's difficult to grow crops. It's difficult. And that's when you end up with more conflict in times of cold. And that's when you end up with more poverty. In times of heat, 
the planet thrives and people thrive. And the driver of heat is the relationship between planet Earth and the sun. Absolutely. Nothing to do with carbon dioxide. And yet, right at the beginning, I said, only 3% of all the carbon dioxide is produced by humans. So they're ignoring the other 97%. It's ridiculous. Yet they're focusing on the 3%. Um, but they've, they've prevented any discussion of it because the BBC sent a email around its entire um, prop, the entirety of its uh, office space all over the country and all over the world. I was given a very early copy of it a couple of years ago, uh, four or five years ago. They were, they said the science is settled. Don't look for balance anymore. You're not to bring people on. A couple of quick messages because they really are engaged. Um, our friends are engaged uh, with this tonight. Diane says what what you're saying is already happening in Limerick. And, and then she says, heat pumps are utter shite, says Diane. You can take that from an electrical engineer. Marcus says, wow, what a guest. Uh, he's a handyman, is Marcus. He says, I've noticed a lack of air in new builds as well. Amazing guest, says, uh, says Marcus. The, this thing you said about new builds. On that subject of new builds, I... You know, there's a lot of building going on in Salford. And, uh, you know, I speak to a lot of people. I'm a very, I'm a curious guy. I'm a, I'm a nosy parker. So I ask people questions. Um, a lot of things that have been built in the last 10 to 15 years, there's a lot of litigation. You'll know this, um, of, of course, uh, Robert, because um, they, they, uh, as quick as they build these things, they are generally crap compared to properties built 50, 70 or 100 years ago. And um, people who buy these things find after a couple of years that things start falling apart. And they're in constant yeah, they hassle trying to get them repaired, right? Correct. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the, this is a really annoying thing. It's, it's, well, by rating things just on one aspect, carbon dioxide emissions, you don't take into account um, what was used to make the product. You don't take into account how long the product will last. Yeah. And you don't take into account whether or not a product can be repaired. My hi-fi, I, I bought it, for my age, I bought it about 1981. Okay. <laughs> right. and, and, and it still works. Yeah. You know, the cassette player still works, the record player still works, the, the amplifier still works. And if it did break, it's got three big Phillips screws on top of the amplifier, and you could undo it, pull it apart, and fix whatever goes wrong with it. When I look at modern products now, they're all sealed or clipped together in, with plastic. And if you try to open them, they'll crack and break and you can't put them back together again because they're designed so when you take it apart, you can't fix it and you have to buy a new one. Um, and when I was younger, a long time ago at school, we used to talk about uh, environment in, in terms of um, what you would do, you would um, try to repair something if it was broken. You would try to, to reuse it in a different way. Uh, and last of all, um, you would recycle it. But now, nobody talks about repair. Nobody talks uh, about reusing it in a different way. All you hear about is recycle, recycle, recycle. Because it's not about the environment. Now, hang on, hang on. I'm glad I found something I could challenge you on, my friend. Okay. I, I do believe the UK government has introduced legislation around something called right to repair. They've, they've said they want to take ah. this on. 
Um, I'm not, this is not a gotcha moment now. I'm not trying to get you or catch you out. But I do remember earlier this year listening to Radio 5 and hearing some government representatives saying that uh, in order to help the, the planet, they want to make it far, far easier th- now or in the future than it was for people to have things repaired rather than chuck out the electronic appliance and buy a new one. So, so th- they are saying they're trying to do something about this. You're right. It's a massive, massive problem. Chucking stuff away. I'm 47. I remember when things broke when we were younger, like little electronic toys. They were sent to a man who knew how to fix them if we couldn't right. fix them ourselves. And, and that was that. We didn't have to buy another one. But, um, yeah, I think they've yeah. said they want to take it on. Whether they will or not is, no, is another thing. But, uh, yeah. That, that, that reminds me of a conversation I had. I think somebody you like is Ian Plymer. Um, yeah. He just got his new book out, Green Murder. Um, I think that came out in December 2021. Um, and I remember having a... I used to go out with him quite a lot. Because I've been to Australia. He comes to Hong Kong quite a bit. And um, he also likes incandescent light bulbs. And um, <laughs> he was saying when things broke... Like you've talked about, you know, when we're younger, if we got a hole in the sock, we'd darn the sock yeah. to make it. Now, don't ever dream about mending a sock or, or sewing a button onto something. They'd probably just throw it away. And that takes me to another big point I want to mention, which is, which is China and coal. All these green groups seem to like Apple products and um, computers and um, modern things. Don't they, Joseph? Most of these are, made, these are all made in somewhere called China. Yeah. And China, if you're buying something in China, it's made with coal. That's right. So why are these green groups um, protesting um, the use of coal in the UK and the use of fossil fuels in the UK? But I look at them and they stick their hands on petrol pumps and they they all campaign (laughs) and they're wearing clothes made with coal. They're using an Apple iPhone. Well, the foot soldiers don't know. You see, the, the, the people at the top of these green organisations, they know that it's bullshit. But the, the poor kids that are gluing themselves, I believe they're suffering from a type of religious mania, to be honest with you, Robert. I really do. They believe it. They've bought a hook, line and sinker. Oh, um, I think so, anyway. I, I think, unfortunately, probably you're right. They, they, they have, but why do they spend time researching the latest... Because they're lazy. Because they're lazy. They have time to do that. But, yeah. But on something important, they completely ignore it. Yeah. And you know, China is building coal power stations. England is turning them down. I, before I was a barrister, I used to work for the electricity company called Yorkshire Electricity. And I saw pre-privatization, post-privatization. And pre-privatization, the gap in salary was the chairman got 70,000 and the cleaner got 10,000. So I said it was very narrow. After privatisation, the chairman got about a quarter of a million a year, plus another quarter of a million in bonuses, and the cleaner had to take a cut in wages wow. because that was the market yeah. rates. Okay. And at the time as well, we introduced something called a fossil fuel levy. And I think John Wakeham was running the industry at the time. And this was all aimed at stopping coal production and fossil fuels, even right back, right back in the late 80s, early 90s. So the idea was to to get away from fossil fuels. Now, all these MPs that are complaining about rising energy costs, I could solve that overnight. Open the coal mines, start using oil, start using gas, and, and we'd be competitive with China. In a hard And we wouldn't have high energy prices. And get the farmers so farming their land again. Get farmers farming their land. They're not planting oh, flowers and growing oh, grain. Tell, tell me about that. 
where I am in, in, in Norfolk now, it's a big farming area, so it's set up a big farming area. I do speak to farmers and I speak to many, many, many people. And most people have not bought into the global warming scale, despite all the media hype. And they think it's a scale. A lot of people still would like to use cash and be served by real people in supermarkets. And they, can, they don't like the way things are going. So we've got a whole body of people who are going along with it, but they don't like it. And somehow we've got to figure out how to get this body of people to not just go along with it, but to actually say, no, we're not having it. Anymore. Let's leave it there and we'll pick that up. That's a fantastic place to leave it. Somehow we've got to get this body of people who do understand it to actually engage and do something about it. That's something we should pick up next time you're on, which um, hopefully won't be uh, too long. You'll get yourself set up, no doubt, with uh, a computer and Skype and that. And that's I'd like to pick that up next time. What are the options for people? I mean, you're the man with the legal mind. Um, you know, you might you, you will certainly have a better insight into how people might begin to approach y- y- trying to stop this happening in their communities, Robert. Um, um, so I'd like to pick that up with you. We do have about 60 seconds. If there was something you did want to say, if I cut you off in your prime there, but we are going to rapidly run out of time. I'm glad you're um, safe and well in the UK. It's been great getting to know you. It was great having you on last time. And um, you've got a real, um, you've got a fantastic, maybe it's a gift as a lawyer, as a barrister, a wonderful way to explain this stuff in a way that, you know, it's chilling stuff, but in a way that people can understand it. So I'd like to continue the conversations, really. So if there is something you'd like to um, say before we do wrap it up, uh, I'm just going to say, finally, thanks for your time again today. Best of luck getting yourself set up again in the UK, you and your wife, and um, I look forward to next time. So final word to you, my friend. Okay, I'll just ask people, please start to use cash. And if you go to a supermarket or anywhere where they've got electronic tills, Please queue where there's a human being serving it, because if you don't, there won't be human beings in the future. There won't be cash in the future. And please, we need to try to get together to stop this environmental nonsense, because you ain't going to be owning your home very soon. It's going to be owned by institutional investors. You really, you really need to wake up and stop. It's kind of being selfish. I'm all right, Jack. And you need to come together and stop this now. Regulators, estate agents, solicitors, lawyers anybody in the property industry needs to deal with this very quickly. That's how I'd like to leave it tonight. Thanks, Robert. Until next time, look after yourself. Bye for now. That's uh, you too, Thanks, Robert. Robert Hansen, barrister who qualified in London, went to Hong Kong and um, set up his own successful firm there. He was there for many, many years. He got out of Hong Kong very recently uh, at the speed of light, really, uh, just like Rachel, who phoned in that time a couple of weeks ago. He's back in the UK now. He's got a real grasp of what is coming down the line and I think he's probably right uh, you know I don't have his understanding I suppose I have his understanding of it but he articulates it brilliantly I think the, the next thing and it's here already the next step in this process is is climate change and, and I think he's absolutely bang on I, I said it myself a couple of years ago climate lockdowns you know, that's part of our future unless we do something about it. Thanks again to Robert Hansen. Thanks so much to you for listening. This programme, of course, will, in about a half an hour's time, maybe 35 minutes' time, will be available to download and share. 
Now, look, I know the social media companies, they shadow ban you and uh, and all of that, but do share the bloody thing. It'll be on iTunes. It'll be on, as I said, Podomatic, the parent where, where it's held, the uh, the one I use, the one I pay for, and it'll be on Spotify and all the rest of it. Uh, particularly, you know, get people to listen to, to Robert Hansen. Feel free uh, to post it on any uh, video sharing platform yourself, just so long as you don't monetize it. Don't ever do that. Um, please don't do that, but do feel free to share it uh, with others. I'm back with you tomorrow. We've got a good show tomorrow. We've got uh, Gerald Salente, Mr. Salente to me, is on the programme tomorrow, early doors, to use a bit of wronglish. And later on tomorrow, Gareth Ike will be back on the programme speaking with us. So I'm, I'm looking forward to speaking to both of those old pals. Closing out the programme today with, uh, well, who else? Only Jeff Lynn. So take care of yourselves and one another. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. And go on, Rangers. Go on, the Rangers, in the Europa Cup final. Go on.